when are we uh, convinced ourselves versus what do we think the group will like? Hey everyone, this is Prashant and I'll be your host for the VC10X podcast and today we have Alex Farset with us. Alex is the co-founder of Rainmaking, a climate-focused angel syndicate with over 1800 LPs investing alongside. In this episode, we talk about middle-class venture investing, growing to 1700 plus LP base, the empathy-first approach on investor side and founder side, de-risking the deals. How do they run investor operations for the syndicates and lots more. So without wasting any time, let's dive straight in. Hey Alex, so good to have you on the VC10X podcast. How are you doing? I'm well, Prasant. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure hosting you. To start things off, can we first have your story and how you started investing? Yeah, I, um, well, it's a, I, I went to school mostly in Africa, grew up part, mostly in Africa. I was born in Spain, a French citizen. Uh, first job out of school, I moved to Silicon Valley and slept on a friend's couch. This was the early 90s. That's how long ago it was. So I had that bug. Um, then I came back to Europe and had a corporate career with DHL and Deutsche Post, where I basically wore a suit and tie for many years. And then life threw us a curveball, and both my son and I had uh, cancer within 12 months. We're both okay, but my son was two years old. He was diagnosed with chronic leukemia, and I had a close call with a melanoma. And uh, yeah, basically my definition of risk changed at 40-something, and I gave up all the corporate uh, benefits and just went back to being an entrepreneur. And in late 2009, I met my partners at Rainmaking, and we launched what at the time was the second accelerator in Europe. There was somebody running something in London, and we, we launched Startup Bootcamp in 2010. Uh, supported and invested on a, on a global basis, over 1,400 startups. And um, I've done a lot of work with corporates as well. In the past three, four years, I've kind of woken up maybe belatedly to the UN SDGs, the climate change uh, challenge, and just decided to build a syndicate to deploy more private capital towards startups that uh, are addressing the climate change uh, challenge. Yeah, certainly. That, that's a very powerful uh, story there. Uh, and besides what you're doing at Rainmaking, again, is very interesting. So can you share how uh, Rainmaking is connected to what you're doing at the Angel Syndicate that's more climate focused? Yeah, so Rainmaking itself, the, the if you will, the umbrella organization is is a partnership of serial entrepreneurs. So collectively, we've built over 35 startups since 2010, Startup Bootcamp being one of them, but there's also some tech startups and some other, other business models. Um, and Rainmaking Impact, there's two of us, uh, my partner, Alan Brandman, and myself, uh, we spend our entire time, uh, we're 100% focused on this. And we started in our first deal in June last year, we made our first deal. And we've made uh, we made five investments in the second half of last year, and and we're making our ninth total now. So we're about on a clip of one a month, minus uh, the dead months in Europe are July and December. Um, yeah, and we we can talk about the subtle differences in how we're going about that. But basically, you know, we've grown uh, the syndicate to seventeen hundred members, and we're co-investing in VC-led deals. Uh, 
and we we're investing our own money in each deal. Yeah, certainly that's a very interesting model. So can you seventeen hundred LPs is a big number, like for any syndicate, right? So how did you get the LPs interested in the first place and get them to believe in your thesis? and then start investing with you. Yeah, so maybe to start with, you know, why that big number and what's the bigger vision. So the idea is to get to 10,000 people deploying an average of 10,000 euros a year. If we can get to that sort of volume, that's 100 million euros in dry powder in private capital, which a regular angels club could never do without any of the overhead and sometimes weird dynamics of a, a VC setup. And so the question is, is there 10,000 people in Europe and elsewhere who can do 10,000 euros, who have the, you know, are willing and able to invest 10,000 euros? Of course there is. There's many, many more times that. And why aren't they? Well, they're busy, you know, being an angel full time. I mean, very few people can do that. And they can't deal with, uh, you know, generating the deal flow, selecting the startups. So in a way, we're part of this solo GP movement, if you will but we're doing it in a very structured way. Um, and it's not based around an individual, you know, with some sort of rock star status. It's more about the process and the focus. Um, so 1,700, you know, we started with 45 people in March last year, and we've been basically proactively recruiting founders, corporate execs, and high net worth individuals. Those are the three segments. And in a way, we're somehow, you know, we're not crowdfunding. I don't, this is a very different thing. And we're not the sort of portfolio management. There's a kind of very large middle. And the way we look at it with climate is, you know, there's both an opportunity and an obligation. That's how we feel about it. There's a, an obligation to do something. And obviously, there's going to be some very, very exciting startups on any of these topics, whether it's energy transition or food or decarbonization, uh, transportation. So... You know, that, I think that's what we're tapping into with the private uh, investor network. Yeah, certainly. That's very interesting. And uh, uh, I'd love to talk about why you've chosen this climate focus, uh, especially and uh, not have like a broader focus wherein you are open to all types of startups. Well, not necessarily all types of startups, but you know, we chose, We you know, basically you look at the, the biggest culprits of emissions, you know, the sectors that are driving the big emissions and th those are covered by, uh, you know, and obviously energy, transportation, food, and then they're kind of more of a horizontal around decarbonization. So having to do with carbon capture, sequestration, uh, measurement, et cetera. So, I mean, the why, the fundamental purpose, if you will, is, you know, we have kids, uh, we're worried. Uh, they're going to have kids. Um, every day that goes by, uh, we're not making a hell of a lot of movement towards all these net zero commitments you know, clearly there's something going on with the planet and there's just a sense of purpose that, you know, what can we do? So we're not necessarily smart enough to, uh, you know, contribute to the green hydrogen uh, invention. So what levers do we have? And we thought, well, we, we're really good at sort of uh, both selecting, sourcing and selecting startups and generating interest from this private sector. And if we can get to that 100 million euro deployed annually, then that starts to make a dent, I think. Certainly, that's a very great direction to go into. And uh, one more aspect that I learned uh, about your investing is that you're an empathy first investor, right? So what does that mean in terms of maybe empathy in terms of investors and also in terms of founders? Yeah, I mean, it comes from having been on both sides of that table. So 
you speak to any founder and fundraising is not the reason they started the startup and yet they find themselves some portions, 50%, 80% of times, you know, spending uh, time on what is felt as a distraction, you know, they'd rather be building their business. So there's an empathy for what that's like on the founder side. And then on this private investor side, you know, with the issues, there's some limitations with angel networks and the biggest one being that they're locally strong, but regionally blind, at least in Europe, you know, you, you, you might have the, the Madrid angel club or the London angel club, and they're going to see local, you know, perhaps national startups. They're not necessarily looking for the very best deals in a given topic. And then the other is there, um, you know, you're getting a lot of deals at the same time. Uh, and the people sending the deals don't always have skin in the game. So we've tried to flip that. So on the founder side, we approach the founders. We don't seek random inbound. So the dynamic typically is you're a founder, you're approaching me because I'm sitting on a pile of money and you're in pitch mode. From the first minute, you're in pitch mode of trying to get to that outcome. Whereas we reach out to founders and say, look, you're the rare commodity. You know, money is, uh, there's a lot more capital looking for, for good ideas than the other way around. And, you know, we're going to help you hopefully lower the pain of fundraising. And so, you know, can we help you find some VCs? And by the way, we'd like to invest in, in that round. So that changes the rapport and the dynamic. Of now we're working together to solve a problem. So it's empathy on that way on the founder side. And then the empathy on the investor side is, again, you know, it's overwhelming. If I have 10K, 50K and I want to deploy and I don't have the bandwidth to join an angel club. And if I do, you know, it's overwhelming. So we send one deal at a time. We're always investing our own money. So we have skin in the game and we're always co-investing with the VC, which is a way of de-risking and maybe, uh, you know, adding some uh, some, some bandwidth on due diligence, on dry powder, et cetera. Um, so, you know, it's presented in a very sort of personal way, but it's we always use the co-investing. So would you like to co-invest with us? So we're never pitching and the founders are not pitching us. We're just trying to solve a problem, which is how do we get this amazing startup, the capital it needs to have an impact? Absolutely. Yeah, that's certainly a great approach. And uh, another aspect is about, you know, you are also de-risking these deals uh, for your investors by actually co-investing also with other reputable VCs that are investing in those deals. So we'd, we'd love to learn more about that de-risking aspect and uh, how are the deals flowing? Is it like, okay, the VCs reach out to you that, okay, we are investing in this deal, you want to jump in with us? Or is it more like you reaching out that, okay, we are investing in this this deal and you bringing in the VCs into that deal? How does that work? Yeah, it's a combination. So obviously, it, it, the it's happening more and more. But obviously, if you can get in on the radar of the top VCs and they see you as an excellent top-up mechanism. And by the way, we use a platform called Odin, which allows us to aggregate individual checks into one line on the cap table. So that's very cap table investor and founder friendly that we just have, you know, essentially one signature. Um but mostly it's us reaching out to founders and saying, look, it looks like you're making great progress. Are you already talking to VCs? Uh, in many cases, they are because they're good. In some cases, they haven't started and we help. We've spent a lot of time building relationships with uh, the top tier, uh, you know, uh, most active impact VCs in Europe. Um, and, you know, then the job is to have build a rapport and basically get an allocation. You know, how do we get in on that route? And part of the value prop to our members is, you know, if you have 10K, 
it's going to be very difficult for you to get in on a VC-led round, you know, maybe in a seed or an A round, unless you have a rapport, an existing relationship with the founders, and they really want you on board for essentially for more than your money because of what you bring. Whereas with us, you know, we're saying we might take a 250k allocation or 500k allocation, which is meaningful to the round, but then we break that down into smaller individual checks, and that's what gives access to the individual investors. Um, and then on the de-risking, I mean, you know, there are two of us doing this. We're doing this full time, but obviously we don't have as much bandwidth. I mean, I was talking earlier, um, you know, due diligence is a bottomless hole. You can just go down and just keep going. Like you're never satisfied. I haven't, you know, looked under every, uh, in every corner of the data room, et cetera. So, you know, in a way that the, the, the professional approach to, to due diligence by the VCs is a, is a, a de-risking. Of course, we make our own decision. We have our own due diligence, but we don't necessarily have the bandwidth to call every reference or talk to every employee, et cetera. So that's one aspect. And then, um, of course, the VCs, you know, the fact that a top-tier VC has selected that startup is a signal. Uh, they must have looked at lots of other startups like we did. And so why did they pick that one? So we make sure we speak to the, the lead investor at the, at the VC and understand their rationale. Sometimes they share part of their due diligence with us. And in representing that to our co-investors, to the syndicate, we say, look, you know, we've spoken to them and, you know, they agree with us. This is a great case, so much so that they are leading the round. Certainly. Yeah, I think that's a great approach in de-risking and also like uh, limits uh, your effort as well, because there is also another one also doing their due diligence. So that adds to the, your diligence as well. So uh, de-risk the deal, right? Uh, and then s- since you're now running this syndicate now, so l- let's talk about why you decided to take up the syndicate model and, uh, you know, tap into this middle class of venture investing, as you call it, uh, instead of uh, maybe starting a venture fund itself, because you could have done, gone that route as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a very important question. And we've been we've been offered, you know, could, could I give you a little bit more money? And then you don't ask me every time to decide case by case. But so it's a both a, it's a quality of life and an economic consideration. So the quality of life is well, quality of life and focus. So quality of life is, you know, every minute we're not spending talking to founders or growing the syndicate is kind of an overhead. It's a lost minute. And inevitably, if you're doing a fund, you know, you're going to have some overhead. The first one being reporting. You're managing a portfolio and you have to answer to the investment, the investors, you know, why did you make the last investment you made? How are they tracking? Here, because we are in the spirit of co-investing, via this uh, platform called Odin is, look, you made your decision. We gave you our rationale for why you did it. And now you're getting essentially the, the reporting directly as a, as, a, as a virtual shareholder because it's a complicated story, but they're not directly on the cap table. So we eliminate that overhead. And we don't have that pressure of we have to deploy the capital and we have to show progress, which is, look, we co-invested. Now we're in the game. You know, let's do what we can to support the founder. So that's on the quality of life and the, and the focus angle. And then economically, you know, there, there are articles written on this, but if you have a fund, you're essentially, if you understand carry mechanisms, you know, you have to return, let's say a 1x, you have to return the initial investment on the entire fund with any, uh, any liquidity event. So if you have one exit, you know, you're going to have to return all of the initial investment before you can earn any carry. 
Whereas here, it's a case-by-case carry. So if you have a home run, you're just returning the initial investment on that one investment, not the entire fund. And there have been some some studies and some simulations done. And, you know, depending on the size of the home run, that can be like a 10x difference on the return. So economically, it makes a lot of sense. But it was mostly, we just don't want to deal with the overhead. We just, we love helping founders. We think we can get to these really big numbers without the infrastructure and overhead and, you know, dynamics of a VC where you have so much time to deploy the fund and then you're already raising the next fund, etc. Another one, by the way, is, you know, it's well known. I mean, a first-time fund manager is, is going to have to spend, at least in Europe, 18 to 24 months fundraising. You know, we got our first deal done in two months. Um, of course, it wasn't anything on the size that we could have done with the fund, but we were in the game. Like, And then all of a sudden, we were doing our second one. And now we're doing our ninth one. And, you know, we're beginning to have impact. And the idea is to do this you know, for the next 10 years, hopefully do more than 100 startups. And, you know, if, if, if we do well, we'll have impact and both on climate change itself and on the founders and obviously economically. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very interesting approach. And also would like to learn more about uh, your the model of investing. So I, I feel that it's somewhat closer to the crowdfunding model. Is it? Uh, or how, how is it different from the crowdfunding model? Because there are crowdfunding platforms like maybe Republic and like people can go sign up there, see the deals, invest, like do their do their own diligence based on the information that's already there and then put their money in, right? So how is that different from the model that you're using to the platform called Odin? So the fundamental, this is a couple of fundamental differences. One is that you have to demonstrate you're a sophisticated investor and Odin is itself covered by the UK financial regulatory authority via an umbrella organization. So you're going to have to do some KYC. You have to answer a questionnaire to demonstrate you understand the risk. Um, you have to you know, go through some anti-money laundering, you know, sources of fund, et cetera. So it's not a five, uh, you know, a $5 or $1,000 or pound or euro investment in a, what is typically in crowdfunding is, you know, consumer, you know, products or, you know, consumer place. So it makes sense for them to be crowdfunding because they're also getting some marketing impact. You know, our minimum investments start at 10,000. So, you know, it's not crowd. It's, it's a, we don't want that crowd. We want, we want the crowd who uh, is more sophisticated about understanding the risks and rewards of venture, but don't necessarily have the bandwidth, um, you know, to be a full-time professional angel. And they're putting in pretty significant ticket. I mean, 10,000, you know, not everybody can do that. A lot of people can do that. And, and you know, the biggest individual ticket we've had is 300K. Um, and, you know, but, but on average, I think the average ticket so far is around, around 20. So, you know, this is not crowd territory in my mind. It's, uh, but, but that's not to say there is a very large group of people who could do that. And we're trying to get them around, uh, you know, gathered around our syndicate. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And I'd like to cover another aspect. So as an angel syndicate, uh, uh, are, since you're the syndicate lead, so are you negotiating with the founder about the deal terms? What will be the valuation? Uh, what will be the percentage allocation, right? And since you're also co-investing with the VCs, they'll be also be the part of the conversation that how much allocation does the syndicate get and how much allocation does the fund get, right? Based on the valuation you decide, right? So insight into that. Yes. Yeah, so the, the, our starting point is in building the relationship with the founders. And saying, look, we think we're, you know, we're we're a very founder-friendly syndicate. 
for a number of reasons. You know, I want to get to a point where we can say to a founder, you know, if we take you on, we can get you 500K in four to six weeks and you'll have one line on the cap table, but you'll have a lot of really, really interesting people behind. Um, and so it's the founder who decides, you know, I, you know, I've lots, if they're doing well, they have a lot of angels knocking on their door. Just go, well, the rainmaking impact makes a lot of sense. I mean, they're super easy to deal with. I don't have to invest a lot of time fundraising. That lowers a big pain for me. I don't have to chase all these individual uh, investors, et cetera. On the deal terms, you know, we're, there's always a lead VC. So the lead is leading uh, and, and typically is leading the negotiation. So in that sense, we join the existing terms. And, you know, obviously we may have an opinion and if we don't like the terms, then we don't join. But we're not, it's, it's not overhead. I don't want to describe it, you know, similar to what I said before, but we're not, we're not spending time on that part. We, you know, we, we're happy with the terms we're seeing. That's in place. The term sheet is in place, etc. So we just focus on, you know, getting our allocation done and building the rapport with the founders so that we get invited. Certainly, yeah, I think yeah, that's that's great. And uh, would would love to learn more about how you run the overall operations of the entire syndicate. Right? Uh, is it is it a lot of work? Because uh, I heard you saying that yeah, like syndicate is a lot easier. Of course, you like talked about that right now, that there is less overhead than running a VC fund. Uh, but can you give more insight into what goes into, you know, running an angel syndicate? Yeah, it's a good question. It's not to say there isn't work. There's a ton of work, but, uh, you know, it's. I think it's directed at the right thing. So so there are two of us, uh, my co-founder, Alan Panman, and my myself. So he's focused on the outbound. Uh, you know, he's essentially at the top of the funnel, reaching out to startups, doing the first selection, and then I'm the, you know, the relationship builder and, the, you know, I try to work on the allocation and then I, I basically make the investment happen um, in, in chasing the, uh, the syndicate. So, um, I mean, it's, this, the process is exceedingly simple. We've come to that through iteration, but essentially it's an email that goes out with an investment memo, which we've written in our language, which explains our rationale for investing. But of course, we have a lot of data and input from the founders on that. And that is, by the way, part of working together. They're not pitching us. They're helping us present the case to our syndicate. So already there's a dynamic of like, you know, there's not, they're not glossing over. Like we're really trying to present uh, this in a transparent way. And then we, I record a five-minute video with the founder or founders that is included in the mail. Very quick intro. And then we say, look, one week from now, one week from today, we have a live Q&A for an hour with the founding team. Uh, if you can't make that, we'll record. So you get an email, investment memo, deck, uh, quick quick, uh, quick video, and then one week later, you can go come and join and ask the question. Or listen to the founder, look him in the eye and, and ask sharp questions. And then essentially the founder is done. Then it's our job to go and convert people's expression of interest into money in the bank. And that is where the, you know, there's no automation there. This is where the, the, the elbow grease, where, where the grunt work begins. And we could do some automation, but I want the syndicate to feel that when they ask a question, it's me answering. You know, we're, we're just on it and it's very personal. And this is where the trust that there's a human being behind this. You know, they're investing their own money. So if I ask a question, you know, and we're, we're not pitching, but of course we're trying to get to the allocation. We've already decided. So um, 
but yeah, we use uh, we use Affinity. If you want to get into the weeds, like we use Affinity for uh, which is a CRM investors use a lot. We use HubSpot for communication. We use uh, yet another mail merge as, as well. We use you know we do use tools, but when it comes to getting the deal done, there's a lot of uh, handholding, being very responsive in a personal way to individuals asking questions and expressing interest. And if you do that enough, they start introducing their network. They start introducing uh, founders and it starts to, you know, we can feel that, you know, as people say, oh, I've heard of you guys, you know, even founders we reach out to, but, you know, you got to do the, you got to do the grunt work uh, for, for, at the beginning. And, uh, and still to this day, we, I don't think we ever get, and I don't want to build a platform where you sign and then you tick a box, you know, it, it has to be more human than that. Certainly. And uh, let's also talk about like, is, is there any kind of impact that uh, the recent slowdown has had on the angels and how they are thinking about investing uh, and their behavior uh, or how much, you know, allocation syndicates get uh, because like the dynamics have completely shifted, right? So do you think what what has been the impact for the angel syndicates and angels in general? Yeah, there's uh, certainly. It, we're, oddly enough, we've started investing with the downturn. So we've never invested in the uh, in the good times. We've, we've, we've gotten nine deals or, you know, we're pushing the ninth deal down. We've got eight deals done in, in horrible times. Uh, the fundamental is good startups get funded in any, any period. Uh, but it's harder. And lots of our members you know, are saying, I'm pausing right now. I want to know what happens with the world. And, uh, you know, what, what, you know, my money is, uh, I'm earning more money from interest in my bank account than by taking risks. So I'm parking, but that is one reason for having a larger group is that at any one time, when you present a startup that's doing, uh, you know, seaweed for alternative protein, there's some portion of that big group that finds that interesting some sub portion of that group happens to be liquid and willing to take risk. And when you find that little subgroup, is it enough to do 250 or 500K? And you know that, that, that's one rationale for having a, a larger group. Uh, and, and that's why I think we're, you know, we're able to do a pretty decent clip of a, one deal a month at, at the moment. Um, but it's tough and Definitely founders are doing what they should, which is, you know, extending runway, uh, raising as much as they can to to be safe. And, you know, that's why we're also, when we do our allocations, we're saying, you know, can we do 250? But for example, what happens if we give you another 200? Most founders are saying, yes, please, I'll take that. You know, I'll, I'll take the extended runway. Yeah, certainly. And uh, like one more aspect is, 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 is there ever a situation where you're double pitching that, okay, the founder has done their conversation with your LPs that are there in your group. And then after that, you know that there's a subgroup of people who are interested in this deal, right? So do you also like have to pitch again to the LPs that, okay, this, uh, you showed interest in them. Now, how much are you investing, right? They say, okay, I'm investing maybe 5K, 7K. So you say, okay, uh, can you write a bigger check, right? Uh, so does that kind of pitching also happen as a syndicate lead? Uh, yeah, if I understood the question, I mean, the, the, the where we earn our upside, if you will, is in converting somebody saying, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm expressing interest right. to money in the bank. 
So, yeah. you know, it is our job to, yeah, yeah. Is, was that your question? Yeah, kind of that. And also like maybe increasing the check sizes of individual LPs, if you're able to do that, that aspect as well. No, I don't, no. I, 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 we, we've sometimes, you know, maybe if there's somebody who's willing and able to write a bigger check, we may improve the term slightly. Right. So reduce the carry or whatever to get them on board. But I'm, I, I think I can honestly say I've never said, oh, you know, maybe if I'm trying to get to close the allocation, I'm very close. Like, you know, would you mind doing 20? But in general, I'm not in that mode. I just say, what ticket size are you interested in? What, what are you comfortable with? You know, given your circumstances of where you are with your, you know, your, your finances, your appetite for risk, etc. And people make their own decision. They, they, they do ask, what's the minimum? And we've played with the minimum to see what happens. But uh, but no, we're not, not, I hope not too bad uh, doing, you know, convincing, you know, trying to extract more out of people. People make their own decision. We're again in the, in the principle of co-investing. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. That's, I think, a great approach again. And uh, lastly, uh, my last main question before we move on to the rapid fire round is uh, about what's, what's been your biggest learning, uh, you know, investing uh, over the years and running this syndicate? Yeah, I, I have to say, I, uh, you know, I've never been a professional investor. We, you know, ran Accelerator is doing investing, but a lot more than that. I'd say I certainly have a newfound respect for, uh, you know, full-time professional investors, VCs, you know, some professional angels. It's, it's, it's difficult because, you know, you're never sure. Uh, and, you know, back to this bottomless hole of uh, due diligence is you, you can just, uh, you can just keep digging and keep asking. And then at some point you build a conviction and what is that point? Uh, and, you know, we've got a scorecard and you know, some, some frameworks, et cetera, but there, there's an intuition part. There's an analytical part. There's a human interaction, judging people. How do you assess resilience, for example, which is such an important part of uh, the success of a startup on, on the founding team is their resilience. Um, you know, how do you assess team dynamics, et cetera? It's, it's, so it's, uh, it's, it's not easy. I have new, newfound respect, but also, um, you know, we've, we've discussed amongst, you know, with my co-founder and I is when are we uh, convinced ourselves versus what do we think the group will like? And in a way we're trying to balance, like if we know that if we present something that's super hardcore hardware only in some obscure industry, it's going to be a hard sell. But if we're convinced and we're willing to put our money in, then we should do the work of finding that subgroup I spoke about that is willing to join us. Whereas sometimes we go, ah, oh, let's just do a nice little SaaS enterprise, you know, software only. Our life would be so much easier. Uh, so we've taken a lot of hard cases on, but uh, yeah, we try to find that balance. It's, sometimes it's nice to do a no-brainer, if you will. Uh, but does that mean they're going to be more successful? Of course not. You know, you have no idea. You know? Yeah. You know, I'll tell you in seven or 10 years. Yeah, sure. Certainly. Uh, all right. Let's now do the rapid fire round, wherein I'll ask you five quick questions about the investing that you're doing through rainmaking. And you have to give five quick answers. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. All right. So the first one goes, what are the sectors and regions you invest in? So Europe and Africa, uh, energy, transportation and mobility, food and ag tech, and decarbonization. Great. And what's the typical stage of investment? We're stage agnostic. Uh, so typically it's been seed A 
we, we don't care about stage. We care that the startup is amazing and a VC is leading the round. That's great. Uh, what's the typical check size you put in? 250 to 500K. Uh, the average is probably yeah, approaching 300 now. And I want to get to a point where I consistently do 500 or more. Great. Uh, where can founders pitch you? They can't. Uh, we don't seek random inbound. We, I mean, obviously, good founders always find a way of getting to you through your network, you know, as, as we, we tell them all to do that. But we don't seek random inbound. We're, we're, we're doing our own recruitment. But of course, they can go to rainmakingimpact.com and figure out how to, uh, how to, how to get to us. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and last one, where can our listeners follow you? Uh, well, Rainmaking Impact on LinkedIn. Uh, I think what's our uh, Twitter handle? RMI Syndicate, I think. I don't even know. Um, but but mostly on LinkedIn, we're we're pretty active. That's that's uh, where we put most of our material. And uh, of course, join the the syndicate. You get that monthly or so deal email and and see if you like the deal and co invest with us. Certainly. So, can anyone join the syndicate, or is there there is a selection criteria for that eligibility criteria? Yeah, people can receive the mail, but when you want to invest, again, you're going to have to go through the Odin platform and prove through these hoops to demonstrate you're a sophisticated investor, do KYC. So it's not it's not literally anyone can co-invest, but but uh, you know they can see the deal, they can see that they can subscribe, and obviously we want active investors to subscribe to the email. Certainly. Great. So I'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes below. It was great talking to you, Alex, and sharing your insights on the investing that you're doing through your Climate Tech Syndicate. And wish you luck and happy investing. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Prashant. Pleasure hosting you.